Welcome back to the Dave Gold Evolve Podcast, where industry leaders in the spiritual dating and business world help you truly evolve your life. What's going on, guys? I'm here with Lloyd Yip back with another episode of the Dave Gold Evolve Podcast. And Lloyd is a really interesting character for us to have on. Um, he's also living in Brazil and it's Carnival, as you guys can see from his outfit. But he just joined um, the Dave Godivolve group. I wanted to bring him on and talk to you about organic marketing, the myth, misconceptions, the myths, okay? What a lot of these guys who are trying to scale their personal brand, um, what they're going up against and how they can do it with least resistance moving forward. So thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today, Lloyd. Yeah, man, we've been speaking for a while, Dave, and I'm glad that I'm finally on here and uh, it's good. Last time we spoke, it was nowhere near a celebratory mood. Not to say that right now is super celebratory, but you know, Brazilians are trying to make the best of what is a bit of a weird and funky situation. No crazy street parties this year, but uh, people are donning funny costumes and outfits in the office just to try to make it by. So who am I to not take part in the tradition, right? So here I am wearing, I don't really know what to call this, something that a girl would wear in Coachella or something like that, but whatever, that's my outfit for today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're originally from Canada, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And what brought you down to Brazil? Um, a couple of different things. I began my business uh, a year and a half ago, give or take, with the initial intention of just attaining um, a freedom of lifestyle, which is a couple of different things. It's the ability for me to meet the people that I want to meet, the ability for me to work with the people that I want to work with, to do the things that I want to do, and a combination of other aspects. Of course, money is involved somewhere in that mix. And building a business was the ideal way for me to achieve all that at the same time. And one of those lifestyle goals that I had was to move abroad, learn a new language, be in a place where there's like better weather compared to Toronto. So it's a bit of a long story how I decided on Brazil specifically, but that was the genesis of both my business, but also um, technically how I ended up here um, trying to find a new experience in life. Yeah, I resonate with that because I left the cold winters of Connecticut where I was going to school and trying to change up my whole life and went to Israel where for the most part, the weather was a lot better um, and just you know sought a different type of freedom that wasn't financial at first, um, that was more a peace of mind, that was more a, a letting go sense of freedom. Um, but, you know, as I've gone through my journey and started to evolve my brand, I've become an online entrepreneur like yourself. Um, and I wanted to, you know, talk to you today and ask you a few questions about what it's, you know, what it's actually taken for you to get to the place where you've gotten. Um, I know you had a extensive tech background. Um, I had a little bit of a tech background as well. Um, and what was that transition like? going from working in a company to becoming a solopreneur? Yeah, I'd like to say that my experiences working at companies really prepared me well for that leap of faith, if you will, going off my own. Um, I consider myself very lucky. It's not as though I was working as like, I don't know, uh, you know, <laughs> at a coffee shop or or building treadmills at a factory. Like my skills that I'd been developing while working for companies were very transferable. Um, not to say that making coffee is not transferable to being an online entrepreneur, because we make a lot of coffee, some of us do. Um, but for me, it's like I spent a couple of years in sales. Of course, that's a transferable skill. I spent a couple of years in a content marketing team that transfers. I was in software, so I understood technology. So that helps. And I was also working at startups. So I actually saw from the inside what it would take for you to scale something from zero to a couple million. In fact, the company that I was at before building a tracking scale, we got that from zero to two and a half million in 18 months. 
and I was the first revenue slash marketing person there. So for me, as much as it was still scary to go off on your own, I understood that there were a lot of aspects of just what I already knew, my skill set that carried directly over. So with that, but also having a little bit of savings from having worked for as long as I have, I felt like, you know what, whether or not next six months pans out for me, I can always go back and get another tech job. It's not that hard when you have the background that at that moment in time I did have. And of course, if it works out, then I'll never go back. And as of right now, I can confidently say that I have no plans of ever getting a job ever again in my life, but who knows, right? A lot can change in a year or two as we've seen in the last year or two. You know, I feel the same way that even though my prospects for getting a job in a company have greatly increased by developing my personal brand and, and building the type of community and tribe that, that I built up, um, the desire hasn't suddenly returned. You know, there's a, a certain aspect of having full control of your life and of your destiny that I think is very attractive to myself, um, but also to a lot of the guys in this group who start to realize that if they're trying to evolve their lifestyle and you know have more financial flexibility, um, you know have better prospects when it comes to the dating front as well, that having that you know that purpose and that vision um, behind where they're actually going and dedicating themselves to their passion. Um, is going to be a very attractive lifestyle, not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Um, but with that being said, you know, both you and myself, we both had some sales and some business development experience. And I think that benefited both of us a lot getting into the online space. Now, there are a lot of guys who, you know, that are doing coaching with me right now, and they don't have as much sales or business development experience, okay? They have a lot of experience with dating or a lot of experience with spirituality, okay? And yeah, there are a lot of crossovers if you actually are aware of what the crossovers are. Um, but when it comes to actually onboarding their first few clients, um, it's very much a struggle. And I know that, you know, you have two programs that you offer, like if that's what you were telling me last time, one, where it's guys that are just getting started up to like, you know, three or 4K. And then another one that's helping guys to scale to um, 10, 20, or even 50K per month. But if we were talking in the, the first group of those guys that just wanna start onboarding their first few clients, what did it take for you to start to um, bring on those first few dream clients um, that, helped you to hit the ground running. Yeah, well, I would temper my expectations of finding my dream clients, so to speak, in those first couple of clients, like my Absolutely. best clients now. Um, they, not only would I not have been able to find them in the early days, not only would they have been unable to see the value in me in the early days, but also I don't think that I had a product which would have even made sense for them because your product changes over time and your 100%. offering gets better and better. So in the beginning, I suppose your dream client is just any client that would pay you. So let's break it so, down really simply. Like, yeah. you know, there are guys that, that I'm coaching right now who have started to become very devoted and passionate about their purpose. They're developing a, a deeper sense of self-love and they've worked really hard on building up their personal brand and starting to create connections with people. But for some reason, there's a disconnect, and especially in the mindset mm. of onboarding their first few clients, even if it's not necessarily a dream client. What did you sure. do? Because I know that you started out on LinkedIn. Was that right? Yeah. So I think without giving super, super concrete, oh, here's what you should do. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that there's going to be a certain degree of uh, tailorization, if that's even a word that everyone mm -hmm. has to take with their business. Like LinkedIn made a lot of sense for me because I was going after in, in the beginning software companies, I was going after a B2B market and software made sense at the time because that's where I came from. It's what I knew. And for anyone here that's listening live or in the future, 
and maybe you're a dating coach or you're a spirituality coach or a mindfulness coach or whatever it may be, you have to really consider where do my people hang out? Where's my tribe? Are they on Clubhouse, which is the new hot thing? Are they on Instagram or are they on TikTok? They might be in a lot of different places, but are you able to decipher where there is the highest density of your audience? Because in the beginning, you don't necessarily have the luxury to be everywhere, right? As of right now, I have a content team that I work with. It includes an internal graphic design person, an internal video production person, and an internal copywriter. I have that internally. I can be everywhere. We're starting a YouTube channel. We're starting a TikTok thing. We're starting an Instagram. We're starting a podcast this year. But it took us a long time before we had the ability internally to be on every channel. In the beginning, I only chose LinkedIn because I didn't have the resources to do any more than that. So people who are listening here, don't try to do too much. Pick the area, the channel that has the highest density of your audience, and then go there. As far as what you do there, that's probably the next question that you have. <laughs> so I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're preaching the choir right now, which is, you know, to find one or two platforms that you can actually focus on rather than spreading out, you know, spreading yourself too thin. Okay. Um, with that being said, okay. And, and I know that you preach this as well, that you get to a place and, and you shake the tree. Okay. You go as hard as you possibly can with one platform, and then you can optimize and keep going even more on that platform if you wish. Um, but I've also seen that, you know, understanding maybe that I'm not on the right platform. Maybe I'm putting too much time or effort into my TikTok or into my Facebook and the guys that I'm interacting with, they're not actually the guys that wanna work with me and that wanna value my time um, and, and my energy. So uh, it's, it's definitely something that I talk a lot about with the guys that I work with. Um, now, when it comes to actually bringing them on, it's something that you preach, which is organic marketing. So let's first start it off with what is, okay, organic marketing and why is it so important? Yeah. And there is definitely a bit of a, like a buzzword type thing going around these days with organic marketing. It's actually pretty simple when you break it down. It's simply um, client acquisition, branding, marketing, where you're not paying. So the reason why people get confused is because this could mean a lot of different things. It could mean just going door to door and knocking. I mean, I'm assuming that most people here wouldn't do that because you're not like a brick and mortar or you're not a physical business, but technically via definition, that would count under the umbrella of organic. Um, referrals, word of mouth, um, content marketing. This is all organic marketing. As long as you're not really paying for it, paid acquisition, Facebook ads, Google ads, whatever, um, it's still organic. Now, the reason why this is really critical though is especially in the beginning, it's not as though you have a lot of cash to spend on paid ads. It's not like you have the bandwidth to hire or train someone to go and do your business development for you. Those options are not on the table. So in the early days, you got to figure out how to muster up some sales and you have to be able to do it in a very grassroots approach. That's organic. Now, the, the question becomes, okay, if we recognize that organic is super broad, super diverse, almost ambiguous to a degree, like where within the family of organic do we go to that works for us? And that's typically what I see people struggling most with. It's like, okay, I recognize getting clients and not paying for it is, is helpful, but like, where do I start? Because um, it's, it's a lot, it's overwhelming. And there's a trillion podcasts out there like yourself and others who talk about various strategies within the realm of organic and if anything, people listen to all of them and it only makes them more confused as to where do I go? What do I do? What's the sequence of things? How do I, you know? And that's actually the biggest challenge in my perspective when it comes to this part of marketing. It's so true that it doesn't matter what field you're in, there's tons of content out there for you, for you to consume, but also for you to be confused by, you know, and 
just wading through those waters is sometimes the biggest weight that you actually carry around. All those unused courses, all those you know, misconceptions over what you're supposed to do, okay? Like creating the funnel or delegating or, um, you know, spam messaging people all the time. And so, you know, something that I realized was that um, creating connections and actually providing value to people was one of the greatest ways that I could connect with my audience and actually start to work with them and have an impact on their life. Um, but what about you? How do you think that um, some of these guys can use organic marketing to best reach out to their ideal target market without coming off as spammy? Yeah, so there's actually a four-stage process, and I'll just go through it with everyone here. And I was saying earlier that podcasts are guilty of adding a lot of overwhelm and shiny object syndrome to people. So this will be the last podcast that everyone here has to listen to. <laughs> you're going to listen to this podcast, and then you're going to go and implement the stuff that we share, and you'll be good for like six months of implementation, and then you can come back and we can talk again. That's good but, because I was thinking about taking a break from podcasting. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Like all of your future guests no longer need to show up because we're going to, we're going to solve everyone's problems right now and here. I'm glad but, okay. superhero Lloyd has arrived. Yeah, I've arrived. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's four stages. All right. And what's really important is that you can actually make your business capable of executing on all these four stages in this specific sequential order, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first stage is that you need to be able to build your audience. Now, building an audience doesn't necessarily mean it's people who love you, doesn't necessarily mean that's people who are already ready to buy. It's just people who know that you exist. We're not asking for much here. So this is more or less what we define as the top of the funnel. So the way in which we can do this, of course, this could be done paid. Paid media is very good at building the top of the funnel. It just costs a lot of money. So I don't recommend this to beginners. So in the beginning, if you are trying to build your audience and you're trying to do so organically, there's pretty much only two ways that you can do so. Mm -hmm. The first way is to share content. And the second way is to just hold approach. And this is pretty simple when you think about it because if you're doing content marketing and people are coming to you, that's the equivalent of you, you know, wearing, you know, your best outfit and going to the bar and having an active social life and people naturally gravitate towards you because of those things that you're able to create. Within well, that's the, the, that's the Inbound. crossover here that, that a lot of Inbound, these guys, yeah. you know, had trouble seeing, but I helped to bring that to the forefront that, their ability to attract a woman into their life could be theoretically transferable in their ability to attract someone into their life that they could work with and help them to build a you know client relationship with and so, a lot of the theory is similar a lot yeah, of the theory exactly. is similar and on the flip side of course like doing cold approach in the dating world and just sending out DMs and quote approach in the business world isn't that different. Now, yeah. those are the two primary approaches, right? But with I that being love... said, with that being said, sorry to cut you off, you've also mm. talked about how um, is it efficient to yeah. go and approach a hundred girls at the bar every night? Okay. It's or not. is it efficient to send a hundred of the same messages? to people on LinkedIn or on Facebook every day. And, you know, if you don't have someone else doing that for you, it's going to be a recipe for burnout or disaster. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why I was going to say to me, although these are the two approaches when it comes to audience building organically, they are much better used in conjunction than they are apart. And a mistake that I see people off making is that they will, pretty much only pick one of the two and they'll just like ride that until they die. Mm -hmm. But the person who only does content marketing, only does inbound marketing, they're too passive. It's, it's as if 
you're that guy who obviously looks very good at the bar, but you don't take any chances. You're not willing to approach. Like, sure, maybe one out of 20 women would go up to you because they just are feeling a bit confident, maybe a bit tipsy on that night. But the rest of the 19 out of the 20 women who might actually think that you're attractive, they still aren't going to come up to you. And I love how... this. I love this because it's literally the philosophy that there are people out there that want to work with you, that want to date you, but they want you to take the first step and initiate yeah. the contact. And that's inbound marketing. Like inbound marketing is, is very passive. That's the nature of it. And it works really well to warm people up. It works really well so that um, people like you and know you and trust you more. But if you're expecting people to just like show up at your doorstep and knock on your door because you release a piece of content or and because you pay put on you a nice shirt three and or five yeah. or $10,000. It's, it's an unrealistic <laughs> expectation. And what's going to happen is if you only rely on that, you're going to capture a very small percentage of the potential market. Now on the flip side, you were saying this earlier, um, there's nothing less efficient when it comes to uh, making friends or, you know, meeting women or winning a book of business than to be strictly messaging strangers, tapping, you know, people's arms on the shoulder on the street. Like, can it work if you hit on a certain number of people? Yeah, like eventually you're going to have, you know, your two or 3% conversion rate, whatever it is. It's just a pure numbers game at that point. And yeah. it doesn't scale particularly well. It does lead to burnout. It does lead to people enjoying their daily craft less and less. So neither of these are the most ideal options. I prefer a combination of the two, the hybridization, right? Warm outbound is, is the way in which I coin it, where you warm people up with content first, mm -hmm. and then you approach the people who engage. So let's say I'm on Instagram and I release this video and someone engages or comments on it. Maybe I'll DM them after and ask them like, hey, what did you like about it? What did you find interesting about it? Because if they engage with that piece of content, it gives me some sort of indication that, you know what, this person might be almost there. Maybe they're not, I don't really know, but at least this is a signal that I can then go and have a conversation with them because talking to that person is going to probably draw much better returns than talking to someone who has no idea who you are. Right. And the cool thing is that you can also do this on the inverse. Maybe you can warm people up with content and then DM them, or maybe you can DM someone and bring them into your network. And even if they don't respond, as long as they're in your network, they're in your friends list, they're following you on IG, even without a conversation, if now they're in your network and you drip up more content, they see it in the upcoming weeks to months, maybe they go from someone who initially was super cold into someone who becomes more warm. And it just kind of feeds on each other, right? You share content, someone joins your network, you talk to them, they say hi, it doesn't go anywhere. And then you hit them with more content later and you talk to them again. And then it just kind of cascades downwards. So I think really having a combination of the inbound content focused approach with the outbound proactive approach is what people often are missing. Um, and even just that alone, despite it being very, very simple as an idea is more than enough for someone to get their first like five to 10 clients. I know for me, it was. You know, there was that, and I hate to use it, but that like dating terminology of like an indicator of interest where someone is showing you that they're interested in your stories. They're interested in your posts. Okay. They're showing up, they're joining your group. They're actually interested in your life. But if you don't actually reach out to them and get to know them on a personal level, well, they might not realize what you actually have to offer. It might not be yeah. clear to them. They might just think it's a, a friendly, you know, this guy is just giving me value and, and that's it. Okay. That's all the relationship is going to be. Um, you know, with that being said, I remember I was looking back to our conversation and, you know, you had reached out to me when we, when we first, um, when we first became friends and I didn't respond right away. And then you sent another message and, and what's your, and, and then finally, you know, I said, what's up? I said, let's get on a call. Let's talk. And so 
you actually did a little bit of follow-up. And I think that there is a lot of fear there with a lot of guys that if they do follow up, that it's going to come off as too pushy, that it's going to come off as needy because, you know, the same thing like on Tinder, okay, let's say you're messaging a girl and she doesn't respond and then you send her another message. Well, you know, who wants to be the one that double texted or triple texted? So what's your kind of approach there to following up with people who, you know, you started a conversation with and then they went cold? That's a really good question, Dave. And um, if you recall, I said that there are four stages. The first stage was the audience building. Yeah. And the audience building, of course, was just getting someone to realize that you exist, right? And you can do this via content or DMs. But the second stage is called indoctrination. And the purpose of indoctrination is to get someone who knows you exist, but that's all they know you to be, that you're just like a person. Get them to a place where they actually like you that they trust you, that they think that you're credible. And funnily yeah. enough, the way that you can do that is actually just continuing to do more content and DMing. So this is why I say like in the early stages, you can make things really, really simple, right? Um, because of course your first touch point with your DM, now they know you're existing. The first piece of content that they ever see, now that they know, now, now they know you exist. But the, the follow-up is continuously doing more and more and more of that, right? Now, of course, if all you do is just like send them messages again and again and again, and that's pretty much your entire strategy, eventually they're just going to be like, I already said no to this guy. Yeah. I don't know why they're hitting me up again. They're going to know the you, way, but they're not going to like you and they're not going to trust you. So yeah. you want to find There's that like balance stand, there, yeah. that happy exactly. medium. So how do you do it? Exactly. Yeah. So, and on the flip side, if all you do is content, we're going to run into the same problem as before where like, you're going to continuously get more and more people who will maybe proactively reach out, but it's still a bit too passive because mm -hmm. content by its nature is just passive. Ideally, you want to just, once again, do both in a way which continues the relationship mm -hmm. where if someone joins your Facebook friends list or your Facebook group or Instagram following, once they're in your network, you're going to continuously hit them with more and more content. Like I was saying before, and as they engage more and more, then you pretty much earn the right to have a conversation with them again after every single time they engage, right? Every single time someone leaves a new comment, you can send them another DM. Every single time someone comments in your story, you can send them another DM. And now these are conversations that are prompted, that are justified. Now, of course, within the conversation in and of itself, there's things that you can do to really maximize the way in which you can build that know, like, and trust factor. What I typically do is I try to actually have a conversation. I don't just people, I don't just engage people in the DMs with the sales pitch. I don't just try to get someone to a call immediately. I actually try to talk to them and learn about their life and learn about their problems and maybe even provide insight and recommendations right there in the DMs. And that oftentimes is even the fastest way to expedite the process of getting someone to who, who doesn't really know who you are to a place where they're willing to jump on a phone call. In fact, I would say if you were just very good at DM conversations and building trust and having real dialogue in the DMs, then you can actually get away with not even having much content. Because when you think about content, content is really there for the purpose of educating and inspiring and building that trust. But mm -hmm. you can technically just do all that through conversation. Now, content is more scalable because one piece of content can reach the eyeballs of a thousand people whereas you obviously can't talk to a thousand people in the DMs at the same time. So that's why I think content is really, really important. But there's no denying, if you understand how to have really good DM conversations and you actually invest the time in building that relationship with every single person that you're talking to, then a lot of them are gonna know, like, and trust you enough that they're willing to truly start evaluating or thinking about, oh, you know what, this Dave person, he's gone out of his way to help me. Maybe it's worth coming jumping on a call with him. Yeah, and, and that's really the final piece of the puzzle that I try to give to guys in the journey that they go through in my, you know, Evolve Your Brand, Evolve Your Life course is developing those deeper connections with people so that that trust factor um, can start to develop and people can see that you are a real human being, you do have empathy, um, and you do really care. But... Um, I wanted to dovetail that in to getting to a place where 
you've gotten better with creating those connections. You've started to um, onboard um, you know, a fair amount of clients and students and you know, you're building up your, your business and you're starting to have recurring revenue and you wanna start to scale it. Now, how do you start to scale your business without decreasing the amount of rapport that you build with um, those same uh, prospects and, and those same connections when you're DMing them, if, if maybe you're not even the one doing the DMing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, the next stage really is automation. Because if you can take the elements of your day-to-day, which are reliant very much on you, but frankly don't need to be. Yeah. And I'm not going to list off all the different things that you could technically automate because that would take a while. But Well, you can automate everything I, pretty much. <laughs> well, you can go pretty far. You can go pretty far. Now, I wouldn't say that you can automate everything. There are some things that just like don't work well when it's done by a machine. It's much better to have a person do it. But there's so many different things that you can still offload. And that's really where I think my tech background came in handy. And maybe for Mm -hmm. you as well, where I was able to identify, okay, what things could I for sure remove off my plate with just a simple software, with a tool. Um, And also like just understanding the landscape Help me understand what things I could automate in the future that maybe I didn't even realize existed before, but because I understood how technology work, I can look at that process and be like, there's no way someone hasn't already solved this in a much more scalable manner. What was so, the first thing that you chose to, to automate? Outreach for sure. Um, especially on LinkedIn, you can send out your, the first couple messages in your messaging sequence fully automatic. Now I, I will like put a caveat on this. Anyone who wants to, automate outreach, like just be warned, you're, you're walking a very fine line, both in terms of compliance, because sometimes depending on the way in which you use tools, you might get in trouble if it's not within the terms and conditions or, or just the, the way in which the platform is set up, but also personalization, right? Because like, even if you're sending out a lot of messages, if the messages are very robotic and very obviously canned, it just doesn't come across well. So I will say like, be careful whenever you do automate that it doesn't have a detrimental effect onto the customer's experience because once it does, that's actually when I know I shouldn't automate something. When I think that the the price of automation is much more significant than just the the price tag, the real price is actually a negative experience to my clients. Um, So I I don't automate everything when it comes to outreach because I wanna make sure that the experience is good. But things like having uh, a sales pipeline tracked inside a CRM, such as Salesforce or HubSpot, yeah, for sure. Um, don't just use a spreadsheet. Don't just have like a person manually tracking it in a notebook. Um, like payment processing. There's so, there's so many different things that, frankly, if you were to automate, not only would it not impact your customer's experience detrimentally, but it might even improve the customer's experience. And those are the areas that I really think people should look at when it comes to trying to automate and scale their business. Now, with that being said, are there any misconceptions around scaling? Maybe guys are uh, you know, starting the process of offloading or delegating too soon, or maybe they've gotten to a place where they really need to start to offload and automate and they are you know, caught in their old ways and they don't wanna actually relinquish the control. What have you seen so far? Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, I always think that it's better to automate before you delegate. Mm-hmm. Delegation is, for me, uh, the fourth stage. Because what, was the, what was the third stage? Did we, did we miss that one? Automation. Okay. So yeah, we got automation. The automation. And the delegation, the reason why, it, it technically achieves similar things as automation in that it yeah. frees up your time um, to focus on more CEO-level stuff. Mm-hmm. But delegation is inherently higher risk and also higher reward. Um, it's higher risk because of course, like you're bringing people on, people are not as predictable as machines. Um, They're also more expensive than machines typically. And if you spend a lot of time hiring someone who ends up not working out, the cost is much more than just whatever you paid out in salary. If you're hiring a salesperson, they suck. The cost is also all the leads you wasted on. The cost is also all the time you spent trying to onboard them and train them. The cost is, maybe a detrimental effect that they had on the culture of your organization. 
-hmm. Now, this isn't as apparent when you have a very small team because as a CEO, you are the culture in the beginning. The bigger your team is, the less you are now the culture and the more that your culture is just the collective people that you have. And one bad apple can really add a lot of toxicity to the workplace. Now, everyone here probably doesn't need to worry about that because they're not necessarily having the biggest teams. But I say this just as a consideration. Eventually, delegation is important and it's actually just flat out necessary because it's really hard to scale past a certain stage if you're still doing everything yourself. Even if you've automated a lot of things, there's only so much. And what I was saying earlier is there are certain aspects that you just can't automate. Like you, you can't automate customer conversations, right? You can maybe automate the initial sending of a message, but you can't automate having a true back and forth dialogue with somebody, whether it be in the DMs or for sure on a sales call. And even more for sure when you're servicing them over a coaching call, like that for sure can't be automated. And that's like, the fulfillment side. And, and yeah, and, and that's only a small smattering. Like you're not gonna have a machine write your content or copy for you. Like you can't automate that. Well, are there tools that can help make it a streamlined and a more efficient process? Absolutely. But there's a reason why now I, I have an internal media buyer on staff, yeah. an internal copywriter on staff, a video editor on staff, because like either those are things that I don't have the time to do or they're not within my zone of genius, but I know that they're really, really important things to have done. And I just have to be willing to hire really good people, give them great process so that when they're in my team, they perform well and succeed. And then I have to trust them because like if you don't do that, then you are going to be stuck doing all those things for the rest of your life. And it's going to be impossible for you to break past a certain point, right? It's leverage. People are leveraged and it's the greatest leverage point that you can have in business. One of the ways in which, you know, we look at automating um, this coaching business is by creating a course and then pushing it out to market so that you don't have to actually do the one-on-one, -on -one, the dirty work anymore. And I saw you were talking about this. I jumped on that live you did with one of your, uh, your past students. And you said, even as you started to scale, you still realize that there are times when you need to do that one-on-one. -on -one. You know that those people, they need your, your energy. They need your focus. They need your specific feedback or else they're not really going to get it from the course. Okay. That could be the same exact content, but there's something about having someone's full attention and seeing the way in which they respond and what they're missing, the blind spots. And that's what coaching is really so beneficial on. So, you know, what's something that you've learned as you started to scale, okay, about how you could provide fulfillment at a high level without being solely a one-on-one -on -one type agency? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Dave. And I think the reason why we um, scaled effectively is because we always still maintained our primary focus on client experience. Yeah. And there's times where you make decisions which don't make sense in terms of revenue or sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. In fact, it might even be detrimental to growth, but you're doing it because it is the best thing to do for the customers. And in the long run, what's the best for the customer should be what's best for the sales and the marketing as well. So taking one step back to take a couple of steps forward is totally fine. The thing that I always say to my clients who are like, ah, I, I know that there's some bottlenecks or some holes in my offer and my, my process for my customers, but like, ah, I want to hit my quota for the month. Mm. Like I really want to do 30 K this month. And it's yeah. like, let's just, I'll just, I'll just improve the product next month because I want to hit my sales goal. And then of course this continues to happen month over month and month, month and then nothing ever really changes. Like don't let your monthly goal get in the way of your yearly goal. Because if you are just obsessed with making your revenue reach your goal every single month and you're sacrificing your improvement to the product as a result of that, then you'll never actually build a product which is worth scaling to the multi-six or seven-figure level or eight-figure level or whatever it is. Because there's always areas that can be made, uh, areas that can be made improved within our offer. For me, I was always willing 
to uh, make a short-term decision, which wouldn't be the most optimal sales and revenue rise, but would be the best for, for my customers. So things like not moving to a group coaching program purely ever. Are you um, running a group at coaching least not for program? My, I do, but not for my flagship. So my flagship program is still one-on-one. Flagship and meaning, is that the guys that are just getting started or the guys that are scaling? So I have a pure group coaching program for the guys that are getting started. Okay. Right. And then of course, once they reach around 10 to 20 K a month, then mm -hmm. they're a bit more ready for my one-on-one -on -one program where yeah. there we're talking much more about automations and hiring. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a set of topics that wouldn't even make sense for someone who's at the 5k per month level to think of like someone who's at 5k doesn't hire anyone. It's, it's outside of the things that would make sense for them. Right. I always talk about the sequence of events being just as important as what are the things that you do. Um, the, the right set of strategies in the wrong order is still the wrong strategy. So yeah. um, what I was saying earlier is because I was always focused on making my client's experience the best as it could be, I think that's why we scaled effectively. And to date, like our, our flagship program is still a one-on-one -on -one program. And in the beginning, it was pure one-on-one. -on -one. Now it's hybrid because yeah. I do try to scale it. But the thing is, I'm never going to sacrifice on the client's experience in order to make the program more scalable. So whereas a lot of people, they, they are just sick and tired of the agency model or the done for you model or the one-on-one -on -one every single week model. And they just like jump straight into pure group coaching. Like they typically don't succeed because what happens is in that transition, the client has a terrible experience because they were getting so much value from the one-on-one -on -one, and then they just moved straight into a group coaching model where now the value that they're getting is like a fraction of what it used to be. And the entrepreneur hasn't replaced the value of the one-on-one -on -one with something else. All they've done is they've gotten rid of the one-on-one -on -one and they added a group. And now it's just like this giant drop off, right? For me, I knew that I wanted to gradually make my program more scalable and minimize my one-on-ones. But as I was doing that, I wanted to make sure that the client experience stayed the same. So I did it very slowly. I would taper off my one-on-ones. Instead of doing it once every week, I would do it once every two weeks. And in order for me to even justify cutting my one-on-ones in half, I actually added like a significant amount of hours into the modules and I added more group coaching calls. And then yeah. once I moved it down to like, oh, just once a month, then I had to add even more stuff. And I had to add like an additional coach to make sure that the client experience didn't suffer. And then once I made it so that there was like very minimal one-on-one, -on -one, but it's still a one-on-one -on -one program, but there's just much less of it. I had to add even more things in order to make sure that the experience that the customers got would not be any worse than if I was actually just there all the time. And now, frankly, my clients don't even want to talk to me one-on-one -on -one all the time because they're busy implementing and executing. And when I ask people, like, it's funny. <laughs> my program right now actually has unlimited one-on-one, -on -one, which is crazy, right? Like, before it used to be just weekly one-on-ones. Yeah. And now it's unlimited one-on-ones. So technically, I'm providing more access now than ever before. Yeah. But people don't really use it. People don't actually bother me all the time. In fact, it's very rare that someone books an extra one-on-one -on -one call with me. And it's because of the fact that in the process of getting to where I am now, I had built the rest of the program to such a robust place that mm -hmm. I knew people wouldn't need it. If people actually needed it, the unlimited one-on-one -on -one would break, right? Mm -hmm. But we, we focus so much on the client experience that people don't need it. It ends up just being an amazing selling point where people are like, oh, so if I want to talk to you, I can. Like, of course, yeah. And then once they're in, they realize, like, I don't even need to. The program is that robust. It's that built out. The client results are so good, even without them needing to talk to me all the time. So, you know, this is kind of why. Scale, like, you got, you got to juggle a client fulfillment and experience with sales and marketing. Like, I, I know I'm a sales and a marketer, first and foremost. But, like, as an entrepreneur, you are not just sales and marketing. You're also product. You're also customer experience. So you got to juggle those things together and ne never let one get too far ahead of the other. Right? Yeah, this is you why, you know, when, when you first reached out to me, I wasn't exactly sure who you were or what you did. All I knew is that you had this, you know, pretty well-engined um, system that you were running and a lot of people that you had worked with. And then as I got to meet you, I saw that, you know, for you, it wasn't just about 
the sale was about actually seeing at least where you're at right now, you know, having this heavy focus on the customer experience. And it's something that I'm really passionate about as well, because like when I first started to bring on my first high ticket clients, the biggest question for me was, how am I going to make it so that, you know, the fulfillment is high enough and I feel like I'm over delivering. And I went out and I started hiring other coaches and reading up on new material and making the program as powerful and as meaningful as possible. Um, but, you know, with that being said, there are mistakes that we make along the way. So is there something that comes to your mind about a mistake that you've made as you've started this business and started to scale it? I mean, it depends on how you define mistakes, because of course, like there might be something that I do on a certain day, which has a negative effect mm -hmm. on the biz. Like that happens all the time. But as far as like a grand mistake that I've never been able to spin back into a positive. Well, once something that started out as possibly a negative and you reframed it as a positive. Well, I, I can tell you one that technically is, is ongoing. Like okay. I'm trying to solve paid ads right now. Mm -hmm. And that's been like a monumental failure. So <laughs> I, I tried it myself first, uh, didn't work. And then eventually that got my ad account banned. Oh, no. spent like a couple thousand dollars there. So that, that went down the drain. And then I ended up like just bringing a media buyer internally. And that's like, I pay him a salary and also ad spend and so far we've like netted absolutely no clients from that no way. so this is like an ongoing mistake or an ongoing challenge more so than a mistake yeah. but you can consider it a mistake given that we're at least like 10 grand of a hole at this point with absolutely no return and I how did you re how did you reframe that as a, a positive yeah well like the reality is not everything you're going to do is going to work mm -hmm. you can't have a hundred percent hit rate on the things that you're trying and I think as soon as people let go of the fact that they need every decision to go well, it's yep. quite freeing. Um, I have like a, a, a certain level of room for just accepting that shit doesn't go according to plan all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, it's taught me to be more resilient. It's taught me to have like more realistic expectations. It's just taught me the nature and the reality of business. This is just how the world works now. Um, it is what it is. Like I, I, I try to make sure that even things that on the surface could be considered a mistake or a problem, I'm getting something from it. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, like there, there was a while where I was like really banking on paid ads to get us to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, we were like stuck at 50K for a couple months in a row and we're like, ah, fuck, we're really trying to hit that six figure per month level. And we're like, you know what? maybe paid ads is the way to go because we have the budget now we have the cash organics working really well for us it's very high margin we're sitting on like a good amount of money that we don't really know how to use like let's blow it unpaid and see what happens um high risk high reward and for a while all of our eggs were in that basket we we're like we can rely on a certain amount of income coming in but like if we want to hit that six figure per month goal like this is it this is it you know and then it came it came to a realization that it's like this is a lot harder than we initially thought it was we better be a bit more creative we better come up with other ways and that's when i realized that you got to diversify that's when you got to like figure out different approaches that's when you don't want to ever have all of your eggs in one basket so i'm always learning about um just like better ways for me to run my business and live my life through yeah. the mistakes that i'm making so yeah a bit of a detour of an answer but Hopefully. No, no, I think it's a great answer. By the way, at what point in someone's, you know, entrepreneurial journey, do you think they, they should consider running paid ads? For me, I started doing it at like around 50 camel. Okay. Because like, so I, I needed for a couple things. Probably 99% of the guys in here, if not 100%, it shouldn't even be in their thought process yeah, to yeah. run paid ads. Because like with paid, not only do you need to make sure that you have enough money to test and that is like not cheap right to be able to spend two or three grand a month yeah. and be okay with it not necessarily panning out but it's also the mental drain right for me losing a couple thousand dollars a month doesn't mean much 
But for someone yeah. who's making 10K a month, you lose two grand, that's like fucking 20% of your income, man. Mm -hmm. Like super stressful. So you got to get to a place where not only do you have the cash flow to afford, but you also have the, the mental freedom to be like, okay, you lose a couple thousand dollars. It's like not a big deal. If, if, you are, if you are not in a place where you can mentally handle just like losing two or three grand mm -hmm. like, like this, then you're not ready for pay that. That's simple. Yeah. Just so, to be completely transparent, you know, um, a struggle that, that I faced and started to reframe was getting on calls with guys that I wanted to work with and having the call end in frustration or them not seeing the value that I had to offer, even when the fit would have been good and learning how to come at it from a different approach where I just really tried to get to understand where that person was at and what they were going through and how they were feeling and what kind of their limiting beliefs were and helping them to, you know, reframe them and decide on their own, whether working with me would be, um, you know, advantageous for both of us. Um, and what happened was like, everything just started opening up, you know, the people that weren't meant to work with me, didn't work with me. And the people that were started working with me and, and it's, you know, been a really interesting start to 2021 as you know, I've had, um, a, a bit of an expansion in my mastermind and, um, you know, that that's been a major shift and something that I had to really work on and reframe, um, considering, you know, we all need to go through these growth spurts. Um, I don't know if we've got time, but I wanted to, you know, definitely touch on at least one more point. And that's when you started out, did you have any limiting beliefs around money and wealth, um, and wealth accumulation or abundance? Because I see that a lot of the guys that are getting started, they have um, a really hard time picturing what $5,000 or $10,000 or $20,000 per month even looks like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't think I did. Not why, because, why do you think that was? It's because I don't think I was like, I don't think I was putting money as my number one objective. Okay. So it wasn't like what I was thinking of. I was just thinking of like, I just wanted to get like a couple clients and do good work. Yeah. So the money, like when I hit 10K a month, to be honest, it wasn't even really a goal, as weird as that sounds. Like, I didn't have this, like, 10K a month goal. I was just like, I want to be able to pay my bills and work with clients that I like to work with and do work that I find fun. That was, like, my initial um, modus operandi. That was my, my vision, so to speak. Yeah. And then I think as a result of aiming for that, the money came. And then... I think afterwards, after I realized like, wait, my 10K wasn't that hard to hit. Mm -hmm. And then even 20K, like 20K was like a bit surreal for me because I was like, what? People don't make 20K. That's crazy. Like no one in my family has ever made that much per month before. But then it kind of just like happened so quickly. It happened like I hit 10K and then I think um, two months after I hit 20K. So I was like, this isn't super hard. This is a lot of work, but it's, it's not super hard. And then I think with... Um, Competence comes confidence where you start defying your own expectations yeah, and you're starting absolutely. to realize like, oh, your, your own perceived expectations are actually just that. They're just perceptions. Um, what I think really did help though was the more that I um, met other founders that were doing cool things, people who are making 50, 100, 200K a month. Yep. Like when you're around them, it's hard to think of your old limitations being legit because all of these people have, have surpassed your limitations a long time ago. And when you're around them and you're absorbing their ideas and you're just like in their energy, mm -hmm. you start thinking like, I'm thinking very small or the problems that I have right now has already been solved. Like mm -hmm. these people have gone through those problems and they made it on on the other side fairly easily. Mm -hmm. maybe a couple battle stars here and there, but nothing, nothing ridiculous. And they're still around kicking. So I think in the beginning, it was about just like not being focused solely on the money mm -hmm. um, because I think that can be quite crippling and then letting your own victories and your own small wins pile up and accelerate your confidence. And then really at the, 
at the higher stages, just, just like surrounding yourself with people that are way further ahead than you and realizing like, you're not that different. You're not that different. Like we're, we're all super similar. We're all super similar, right? I, frankly, I can't even recognize the person that I was a year ago compared to the person that I am now. The things that I do now, I take risks now that give me very minimal anxiety, which a year ago would have given me like a fucking party alchemist. So like, you just have to realize that in the process, you're going to transform so much that whatever limitations that you set for yourself right now, like a year from now, you're going to look at those limitations. You're going to laugh. It's like a year ago. If you told me, Oh, you'll have like 10 K in payroll per month. I'll be like, what? It's absurd. Like I want to keep my business as profitable and as lean as possible. Whereas now it's like, it's life. That's just how it is. That's how I need to like, that's, that's not even that much in comparison. I have friends who have like, over $200,000 per month that they pay in payroll. Like that's what I'm doing now is nothing. So like, that's just the way in which I perceive it at this point in my career in life. Well, I think it's one of the best um, opportunities, you know, for a lot of these guys to actually watch this interview um, in real time. If you're, if you're tuning in, drop a comment below, we'll definitely answer it. Um, and if you're watching the replay, you're also welcome to leave a comment um, and reach out to Lloyd as well. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why I love talking to you and, and bring you into um, my community, because who you, surround yourself, who you surround yourself with truly matters. And winners are going to stick with winners. Losers are going to go with losers. So if you want to sharpen your iron, okay, go to a place where someone's already got a, a sharp sword. All right. Steve Jobs, new Bill Gates. Tolkien, new CS, you know, new CS Lewis, like you got to get in the inner circle of people who are at places where you want to go. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I created a mastermind where I could start to bring people together, a lot of like-minded guys who might not be all at the same stage, but some are going to be a little bit higher than others. Some are going to be a little bit lower than others. And everyone's going to get an opportunity to learn from each other and to see that the minute that you stop putting someone else on a pedestal and you start taking value and ownership of your own life and your own brand that you can get to exactly that place where that person is, if not higher, you know, if your mind um, puts you up to it. So I really appreciate you, you, you know, jumping on this podcast and just the final question that I ask most of the guests is how are you going to evolve your brand and your lifestyle over the next 12 months? Yeah, well, I mean, I always have a couple things that I'm trying to learn every year. Um, I, I think that you can tell a person, uh, you can tell a person's perspective on life by how many new things they try uh, over the course of like a given month or a given year. Like for me, I'm trying to learn a couple things right now. Um, Muay Thai, surfing, Portuguese. Um, and then in the business side, there's a lot of things that we're trying to figure out as well. Yeah. We're building out this like entire content engine and this entire internal content team. So there's a lot going there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot that we see um, in our future. So it's exciting. It's a bit scary. You know, there's a lot riding, I think, um, on these projects. So it, it, time will tell. Time will tell where, where things are. But I, the only thing that I know for certain is that a year from now, I will be a much different person once again, compared to the Lloyd that was around a year ago. Um, and, and that's what I like. I like that there is a constant evolution um, as per the name of your show. So, yeah. So even though this is going to be the last episode, <laughs> we'll have to have you on again in a year and see where your journey has taken you because For sure. you know, I really resonate with that. You know, I want to continue to travel the world and, Get better with jujitsu and dive deeper into spirituality and yoga and i actually have a dream of learning portuguese as well only in portugal so yes maybe i'll have a different gotcha. form of portuguese and we can meet up somewhere in the world uh, but it's been great seeing yeah. down with you and i appreciate you taking the time thank you so much yeah man so yeah exactly man so I'll, I'll i'll leave you guys a couple links as well absolutely um, where can they find to you join yeah, if you want to join my Facebook group, we have like 3,700 people now and we're doing live streams almost every single week, just like yours. Mm -hmm. um, we provide a lot of giveaways. 
Um, we also have a couple trainings that you can just check out for free. I have a 30 minute training that goes much more into technical depth um, when it comes to scaling your, your online coaching, consulting agency business. Um, obviously we had kind of touched and glossed over a couple theories today, but um, if you're looking a bit more into real insight into the actual tools or the campaigns that I'm building, we do have a free training. We also have a quiz that you can just check out if you're feeling lazy. It's like a two minute quiz, if even just answer a couple questions, then it'll actually spit out a fully customized report for you. Um, and it'll give you an audit of your existing business, how you can improve your organic strategy, strengths, opportunities, weaknesses, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, if, if you think that it actually just makes sense to book a call directly with me, um, I'll provide a link as well in that situation. Um, and, and we can, and we can discuss how we can get your business to evolve to the next level. So that being said, um, that's all I got, man. Hopefully awesome. this is helpful for you and the squad. Definitely. It's been great getting to know you better and to, uh, you know, help the guys out with their organic growth. So we'll talk soon. Peace. All right. Ciao. All right. Yeah. Yeah.